I don't want a pickle, just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 98. Yeah, 98? I don't know. I'm pretty confident it's 98. We'll run with it. Yeah, so we're only two episodes away from episode 100. So it's it's still not too late to send in suggestions for episode 100. So here we are at episode 98. I'm your host, MotoGP. With me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. And with us is our most American brother, hmm. Oliver. What's up? Yeah. So I, I think people believe we are who we are and we're from where we say we're from. It's one of the few lies that we're not telling. <laughs> right. But we've brought Oliver on because, weirdly enough, he listens to the show, and he happens to be this side of the pond. So he's going to sit in with us for this episode. Now, we are coming to you from deep, deep inside NOCO, where I am from. We're not at Moto One Podcast Network Studios or NOCOMOTO headquarters. We are in my son's room, actually. One of the satellite offices. Yeah, satellite offices. Right? <laughs> there we go. Um, so on this one, let's do a little table of contents. We are going to talk about, I think we've got a list of uh, products that motorcycle manufacturers have made besides motorcycles. And then we've got a list of manufacturers that don't make motorcycles that we wish made motorcycles and we've got our best worst bike and we've got some good emails this week and i think that's gonna make a pretty good show so what do you say that we just dig into best worst bike let's do it okay so here is the deal everybody each week we each pick two different motorcycles to be the best and worst bike in the world this week. We alternate who is best worst and we don't know what each other have. It's always a surprise. Now, some people don't understand the segment. It's a cheap way to generate content. Frankly, all we do is look at two different bikes. You might not normally look at, and we have a little fun filter to 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 take this information right put it through some people take it as a personal attack you shouldn't do that you should just write a calmly worded email to contact nokomotopodcast.com but if you can't do that if you can't send a calmly worded email just remember baby yoda's first words crying there isn't in motorcycles <laughs> Okay, so So with that, Swiggy, you always go first, and you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Streak alive. Awesome. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is? The Ducati Diavel. Oh, Okay, so the Ducati Diavel. Who? So, well, we've wh- advised a few people to buy one of these. It's about, yeah. it's about time we do a dive on it. Right. So, you know, if you think about the uh, 
What was the BMW one? The Bond bike? The R1200GS? The Montauk. And the Montauk. When you look at those bikes, those are essentially BMW trying to get into the cruiser market, but then trying to emulate kind of what Harley-Davidson was doing at the time, and then putting kind of their own spin on it a little bit. When you look at the Diavel, it's really more like Ducati saying, let's look at what cruisers do, and then just do it entirely our own way to fit into that same market. So instead of... So basically... Instead of this weird sort of shitty emulation that BMW was doing, this is an example of how to enter a market and keep your own flavor and keep your own style. Are we going to get into a debate over simulation and simulacra? (laughs) No. Okay, good. (laughs) Now, here's my deal with this bike. Ducati has always called it a cruiser. Right, which is debatable. But I sort of look at it and I'm like, okay, like Ducati calls it a cruiser. That's cute, Ducati. And I just let it go, right? It, it's like it's like if, if some Italian neighbor moved in, right? And he just decided to, um, like he shows up to like a neighborhood grill out with, cut off jean shorts you know and he's like this is cool right and you're like sure but you know (laughs) you just let it go right or he shows up in his banana hammock and he's like this is what people wear and you're like yeah okay got yeah all right you've brought your own baggage to this and i'm just gonna let it go so i don't know if i buy in i buy in that it's a cool bike i don't know if i buy in that it's a cruiser so you've got to convince me how it's a cruiser well it is and it isn't because not a strong start (laughs) (laughs) you're not selling it the point is that it does serve a sort of similar niche to say the uh the fxdr okay you know it's this massive motor making ridiculous power in a frame that isn't really designed to get that much power to the ground. It's not really going to be great handling compared to any of the sport bikes. It's really all just about straight line power. And more being powerful than actually using that power. That's kind of the area that it fits into. Kind of like the Rocket 3. Yeah, it's kind of muscle bike. Right. So it is doing its own thing to a degree, but it's it's special in that way. Well, it's not special, but it's important that it's not just emulating what others are doing. It's so clearly still Ducati. It is clearly Ducati, but why couldn't they have just called it a standard bike? Or, a na- or got on the naked bike train or something? Mm. The, their their insistence on calling it a cruiser, it, them calling it a cruiser kind of takes away from what the bike is good at, I think. Well, you can think of it as it taking away from the name or trying to say, or trying to raise the standard 
performance of cruisers. Well, do you think you'd be comfortable on that bike for a very long distance or not? Like to me, that I don't know. I'm not exactly a motorcycle expert like you guys, obviously, but I'm to reference South Park, probably what you'd call bike curious. Right. I, so I, I'd like to get into it, but unfortunately, my wife is uh, <laughs> strongly opposed to that position. But to my eye, that doesn't exactly look like something that would be comfortable for a long distance ride, which to me is kind of integral to the cruiser. No. Uh, you'd be surprised. Cruisers actually really aren't that great for long distance in general. It depends on the cruiser, but yeah. I wouldn't want to do more than 50 miles on a Sportster. Okay, that's a Sportster. I, I, I you know, it, to each his own. I, everyone just kind of has to find a bike that fits perfectly if you're going to do seriously long distance. I kind of feel like I can do 400 miles on anything. Right. And I think a lot of people the same way. If you're going to do 1,000 miles on something, maybe this isn't the thing. Okay. Um, the name that's supposed to mean devil. Uh, does anyone else get a particularly devil vibe off no, of this? Other than the uh, the black and red paint job on that first photo. No, nothing. That's not a strong name. Yeah. Also, a lot of people have trouble pronouncing this name. It's not. And since it's clearly going to be supposedly for the American market more than others. It's not, but you know, again, we give Ducati a pass on these things because they're Ducati. Somehow, they we love that they don't do things perfectly. It's what makes it a fun brand, right? So, you know, if we talk about why this is best bike in the world this week, I think it's because it does not the cruiser thing. I think it does the modern standard naked bike thing in a totally different way than all the others do it. It's a big stonk and V-twin. Uh, I don't think there's any other standards or nakeds right now that are a big V-twin, right? Um, as a standard, no, I don't think so. Right. So that puts it somewhere different. Rather than being a twin it was technically or an inline three or an inline four, the Bandit? No. Bandit 1200? It's an inline four. I guess, yeah, it's a V-twin now. Right, see? So it's got the huge torque, and still I want to say these around 110 horsepower. Do we know any specs on these? Uh, way more than that. Really? It's the motor out of the Multistrada. It's like 160 horsepower. Oh, really? Let's take a look. Oh, wow. 157 horsepower. It's a bit smaller than I thought it'd be, actually. And 95 foot-pounds of torque. So it's actually got less torque than I thought, though that's still a lot. Okay. Yeah, it is a very low bike. Um, I mean, how can you call it a cruiser when you're still leaning forwards on the bike a bit like that? Look, it doesn't have to be shitty to be a cruiser, okay? Okay. <laughs> no, I get you. I, I, I just see it as being sort of the coolest, most unexpected standard bike rather than being a weak cruiser, right? At least call it a sports cruiser. Well, power cruiser, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I mean, yes, the way the the genre, the the categories of bikes blend together, it is kind of more standard. We can but, all agree it's better than the Ducati Indiana, that's, <laughs> which is weirdly its closest relative. Okay, I think this is a good time to end the the segment.
<laughs> well, no, I mean, well, we haven't said too many nice things. About I was going to say it. you do, haven't sold it as the the well, best bike in the I, world. I yet. would I would like to say a couple more nice things about it. So, uh, one one thing about these is that they're holding value surprisingly well, and it feels like a bike that's still very new. These have already been around what, like seven eight years now? Quite a while, yeah. I can't remember when they first came out. I feel like it's ten years, if not if not longer, or somewhere around there. It's around ten years old, which is interesting. And I don't think I've ever seen one for sale for less than five or six grand. Yeah, sounds about right. So there is a certain magic to it that plenty of people like. It's not like something that uh let's say um what's something that people would have thought was really cool that 10 years on had lost all the magic something like a um like a magna right mm-hmm. 10 years after the magna they were just like free motorcycles they lost all of their appeal and i know we're not trying to think of this as a cruiser but i mean the magna's not too far off either this one, for some reason, still holds that. Maybe because it was never super-duper popular, it's always going to have a bit of a cult status. Well, I mean, they are still making it, so... Yeah, but you don't see that many of them around. I've seen two in the wild. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, it's a Ducati, and it's not a monster, so you're not going to see a lot of them. That's true. <laughs> it's not a scrambler or a monster, so... Not a lot of them out there in general. Um, it's also a bit more expensive because using the Multistrada motor, that's kind of the platform that it's on. Yeah. So it's just the price point is way higher to begin with. I mean, it's not as expensive as the Multistrada, but it's it's a little bit further up there in cost. So it's I, that's not entirely surprising. Okay. I guess the the best thing about the the, the Diavel is it's a way to have a Ducati and not be a full-on Ducatista douchebag. Mm, yeah. I mean, there are other ways, but this is like, this is as far away that you can get from the Ducati Club and still be in the Ducati Club, right? Hmm. I guess so, yeah. Because at this point, the Scramblers become such a large part of the brand. That used to be the sort of entry-level light way to get into the Ducati Club. Weirdly now, I feel like the, the Diablo this is the on midlife. The this is the midlife crisis entry into the Ducati brand. That's true. This is Here we go. The Diavel is for the guy that went into the Ducati dealership, took a look at the Scrambler 1200, and then decided to treat himself. The guy that went into the Ducati dealership took a look at a Scrambler, then took a look at a Scrambler 1200, and then thought, no, let's go up one more. Oh, okay, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm good with this now. So, are you ready to talk about the worst bike in the world this week? Let's do it. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is homebrew diesel motorcycles. <laughs> Where do I fucking begin? 
So the homebrew diesel motorcycle. I was I was tempted to just say diesel motorcycles, but there's been like three good ones. Mm-hmm. But the homebrew diesel motorcycle. These are uniformly a fucking disaster. For anyone yeah. for anyone like me who doesn't know what that is, is that like a specific brand or is that like a build your own self kit motorcycle? What is People that? that have decided to find small diesel motors and force them into motorcycle <laughs> frames. All right, okay. A DIY motor- diesel motorcycle. There's a surprisingly, shockingly large community of people that do this. They have forums. They have websites. I'm not going to mention any of them by name. There's probably two and a half of our listeners that are deep into this world. And it is a strange subculture. But they... Yeah. I. So are you saying all homebrew diesel motorcycles are the worst bike in the world this week or just some specific ones all of them i have yet to see a good one okay (laughs) i look at this does this look like it came out of a factory it looks like somebody decided they were going to make their own diesel motorcycle version of bumblebee from the 80s right like, look at this. The, look at this. We're looking at a Royal Enfield here with a diesel motor diesel motor shoved into it. And Royal Enfield actually made a production diesel motorcycle that was sort of okay. Someone's decided to take a different motor and put it in here, which, I don't know, maybe is a great idea. Maybe not. But then let's look at this. Oh, my God. Yeah, what the fuck is going on here? I we're going to have to post a lot of pictures yeah. for the listeners but basically take any motorcycle concept and just ruin like everything about it that works visually you're compromising so much so sweet walk us through why diesel motors just generally don't work that well in motorcycles so Diesels generally run at much higher compression ratios. And the way that you get power out of the motor and kind of the general horsepower to torque ratios only really kind of makes sense when you build them up at scale. So when you can pick the number of cylinders, set the bore and stroke the way you want, and and really tune what power you're getting out of it. Diesels generally don't work in 50 to 100 cc cylinders, and they don't really work at the horsepower and the torque ranges that you want. So when you're trying to make it work in these tiny little motors, it just doesn't. Yeah. Now, also, as you said, it's it's difficult to get, for a lot of these reasons, a lot of just straight up horsepower out of a diesel motor. You can get plenty of torque. So, I mean, I thought maybe you could get a kind of decent sort of Harley style cruiser with a diesel motor, but that's not what these people seem to be doing. They seem to be just grabbing whatever is the nearest motorcycle to them. And the nearest diesel motor they can find that's under one liter and forcing 
this square peg into this round hole. You can't even make the fuel efficiency. Well, what, what was the what was the one the three cylinder seven hundred that we talked about in episode ten? That was, it was something like the TRZ seven fifty some TRZ hundred something. I can't remember. It was it's T something, and then the displacement. They did make a three cylinder, um, and I haven't really followed up anything on that after they started making it. And I don't even know if it ever went into serious production. Right. But generally, the, the point is, is that... Oh, this is super fetishist. <laughs> We're looking at a picture of a diesel bike with a hydrostatic drive. <laughs> Built into what looks like it started out life as a Vulcan. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a Vulcan tank. Uh, yeah, it looks like it was a Vulcan... Uh, 1600 or 1500 nomad it's Frankenstein's monster now <laughs> and yeah because that's the thing they always have to add bits onto this frame and cut it in different places it, it, the, to force this to work so these bikes always have tanks in unusual places or no ground clearance whatsoever basically everything about the bike that might have made it originally good is sacrificed for this huge concession of just having a diesel motor. Yeah, and the other thing is that, you know, before all the emission scandals and everything, you might have been able to trick yourself into thinking that this was like a clean and more fuel-efficient, less polluting bike. But when you just graft like a tiny one- or two-cylinder diesel motor into a bike... You don't have, like, the hundred different little gizmos on that motor that makes it not an absolute murder on the environment. Mm. You just don't get all that stuff. So it's not really going to be all that fuel efficient, and it's also not going to be all that good for the environment. You've just made a worse bike. Well, and all these people are making these diesel bikes... I feel like they're just trying to prove that it's a viable thing. Well, of course you can do it. The problem is, though, is it's going to end up unbelievably expensive if anyone really decides to make one, you know, a company with with good performance. It's like, hey, let's take this category of vehicle where we're already skating on thin ice with... Um, EPA and emissions and all of that. Next, in order to make this make any kind of power whatsoever in an engine size under three liters, we're going to have to make it turbo diesel. So there's a huge amount of tuning and complexity, which makes it more expensive. Oh, also, cooling it is going to be difficult. Oh, also, the, the the fuel system is going to be completely unlike anything we've done. Let's, let's pour a bunch of R&D into that. It's going to end up so expensive. It's going to almost always going to have to be um, shaft drive. And, and all, it's, it's everything about it just throws on tons of cost. So, yeah. No one's really going to do it. There was only a diesel KLR because the military wanted something that could run on 13 different kinds of fuel. Other than that, no advantage to the diesel KLR. Not at all. 
So I'm not going to defend the people who are making these because clearly these aren't well-designed and beautifully engineered machines. But just from looking at all these photos, like clearly they're not building them to make them look nice and be like their everyday ride. I'm just trying to get into the mindset of someone who's building this. And maybe, just maybe, they're only making them because they can. And to prove to themselves, yeah, I can make this. But they're not actually really going to use it. And they're not thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is my bike. This thing's amazing. They're probably like, I've built this. I'm proud of it. I did it from nothing. Or is that just complete and utter nonsense? You know, it starts that way. But inevitably, they go, well, it's all together. I've got to ride it to Cars and Coffee. Well, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you want to ride it if you'd built it just a few times and show it off? Like, look at this thing I made. Well, I would be tempted, but I would also realize that even the best of us, you ride this thing to Cars and Coffee or some local bike night, and all of a sudden three people are asking you the question, but why? <laughs> and all of a sudden you start expounding on the benefits of diesel and why you love it and why it's superior, damn it. And why, oh no, it's actually a great thing to apply to motorcycles. And in fact, and here's this weird motorcycle that, did you know about the Royal Enfield and the KLR diesels? And did you know about this? And before you know it, you are waving your own modified Bible in the air. And and showing off your Cummins tattoo and all sorts of weird things. Someone brings up Caterpillar and you have a look on your face like they just brought up Mormons. And then it all goes downhill. It's a weird cult. And it it, it always goes there. The, the homebrew diesel motorcycle guy is only just holding it together as long as he can to appear normal. Yeah, and he's probably working on his doomsday bunker in his spare time. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, these people have five of them dotted around town. But you can't have just one. (laughs) (laughs) What if I'm at the grocery store? (laughs) Yeah, but really my biggest problem is why these bikes always look like a disaster. Well, always. Big shocker. There's no defense. Not many diesel engines are going to have mounting points that are very convenient for motorcycle frames. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) So it's always this grafted on monstrosity. Nobody ever built a diesel motor and thought, is this going to be too wide for a motorcycle frame? Hmm. Weirdly, the Enfield diesel probably did the best job of it here. Yeah, it's still not great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, even people that don't understand what engines are supposed to look like, they're like, this is a little fucked up. What's going on? So, yeah, there you have it. It's the... The engines rarely make sense and make the kind of power you want a bike to make. And then even if they did make some sort of power that would be great for some bike, it's never in the right kind of frame. It's always some chopped up bullshit of just whatever the closest non-running bike happened to be to the person that obtained this diesel motor. Third, 
the bikes look like a disaster. And then fourth, they all these dudes always end up holding court, c- going on about OPEC conspiracy theories and all kinds of crazy shit <laughs> and complaining that various manufacturers don't make these totally nonsensical machines that w- even if they did make would be way too expensive to buy. So, yeah, I cannot abide. <laughs> Homebrew diesel bike. Worst bike in the world this week. Not sure if we can say better than a car. <sighs> yeah. Oh, here it is. The T800 CDI. That's the one. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, let's take a little bit of a break, and we'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> All right, that was fun. So let's talk about our first thing here. So we've been thinking about companies, motorcycle companies that you think of as motorcycle companies that make many other things or made other things before. Uh, There's all sorts of stuff to this. So while I look up some other things here, why don't you start us off with a good one, Swigs? So... We can start off with other companies that used to make other vehicles to begin with. Best example would be BMW making cars, switching over, making motorcycles as well. Didn't they make motorcycles first? Oh. Or did they start both um, at the same time? I thought... I want to say they made cars first, but they could have made them both at the same time. Um, there's Kawasaki that used to, that makes and still makes gigantic you know, 10,000 liter, um, like cargo ship motors that take an hour to start up. Yeah. Uh, and massive generators. Um, robots like auto assembly robots. And yeah, then there's also, um, there's lots of companies that didn't make motors at all. that transitioned into, Making motorcycles. Well, let's review um, Suzuki first. Yeah, so Suzuki, uh, they started off kind of during the age of Japanese industrialization. And the original Suzuki company was, or it was the uh, Suzuki Loom Corporation. And they used to make big... um, uh, weaving looms and they made some of the best looms in the world and in fact the suzuki loom company still exists today it's spun off into a separate company but that's where they started and they actually were div- before world war ii they were diversifying into cars first and then after japan got leveled they then went into making uh 50c like 30 and 50cc uh mopeds and then they transitioned into motorcycles after that uh another good example would be royal enfield and uh bsa birmingham small arms who used to make guns transitioned into motorcycles and then if you look at uh some other great examples would be Ducati that used to make clocks. So 
But did they make clocks? I don't think they made clocks. Ducati, before they made motorcycles, made electronics, specifically radios. Or radios, sorry, yeah. And if anyone ever wants to make me really happy, buy me a Ducati radio. They haven't made them since, like, the late 60s. But uh, they, they're kind of beautiful. They're they're wonderful, and Duc- the 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 crazy thing about Ducati and the radios is, Ducati didn't stop making electronics. They were all they were making the electronics alongside the bikes for a while, and then Ducati split into two separate companies, both called Ducati, and they both still exist. So Ducati, the electrics company. Now is this sort of weird Italian GE sort of thing where they, but they don't make anything consumer. They only make like really large scale crazy custom things. Like Ducati's the kind of company that could supply all the electronics and sorting systems for like an Amazon warehouse. They're they're set up to do that kind of shit. And it's pretty interesting. There's a website and everything. You can go and check it out. And it's not in English or helpful at all because it's only meant to be looked at by people who know what the fuck they're doing. But it still exists. So Ducati is a really interesting one because the last thing you think of when you think of Ducati and you know, racing leathers and, and race bikes and cool is just reliable total, electronics. Yeah. And people in <laughs> yeah. white lab coats. Yeah. It's not what comes to mind. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't Samsung recently started making cars and motorcycles as well? Samsung? Yeah, I think so. Maybe only in Korea, but I think they've started making. They might be making batteries. No, I think they're making actual cars and motorcycles mm-hmm. now as well. Might be purely electric, but I think they are. We're going to have to fact check you on that. Yeah, go for it. So I'm finding something here that they are. So no, Samsung is making crazy display systems for Energica. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes sense. Well, they make batteries as well, don't they? I believe so. Samsung, Panasonic, and who's the other one? Sony? Sony make batteries? I think they do. There's like three or four companies worldwide that make like all batteries. Uh, okay. I think Tesla do as well now. Oh, they make their own? Yeah, it makes sense. Mm. So, hmm. yeah, this is my first time looking at this new Energica bike. It's crazy. And it's weird. They've got these electric, instead of side mirrors, it's got mirrors that have, it's got screens that have cameras in them. <laughs> I, well, it's nice because they're like way up close, and it get and I, I kind of see why it, it is the way it is. But yeah, so you don't have to like move your head so much to look at your mirror. It's a cool system. It it seems super dumb. You explain it. Its camera looks backwards of your mirror. Well, why not just have a mirror? It, it, if you see a picture of this, it makes sense. But anyway, there there are prototype cars with that design as well. I don't think they actually do them because like. They can't be, they don't get approved. Like, it's not technically legal. Why? It's the same thing. Because the law specifies a mirror. Yeah. It's 2020, guys. I know. The <laughs> law specifies a mirror. All right. So, the biggest company that makes things besides motorcycles 
has to be Honda. Yeah. Honda makes anything with a motor, I'm convinced. I believe Honda still makes the most motors per year uh, of any company in the world. Oh, I think they do by a long way. Yeah. I don't know the exact numbers, but Honda, yeah. It's like tens of millions. Honda's still making two-stroke motors for things. Honda makes... I, I can't think of a single kind of engine Honda doesn't make except maybe a V8. Honda probably... I bet Honda has multiple patents on jet engines. I don't think they actually make one. I was thinking of like automotive engines. I don't think Honda makes a V8. But they make like every other possible configuration of engine. They may not have a flat engine right now. Well, I guess they have the Goldwing. Yeah. 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 Shit. (laughs) They make everything. It's fucking crazy. Uh, And they have. Now, Honda started by making, though, just simply rings for Toyota, right? Uh, uh, Yes. Honda was started by uh, Sochiro Honda, who... Is it Sochiro? I thought it was Soichiro. Uh, yeah. Anyway, old man Honda. Old man Honda started his business in the back of his employer's uh, uh, garage. And they were making piston rings for Toyota. Which then got rejected because they weren't good enough. Right. That's where it started. And then he just went to slap on motors for bicycles. Yeah, and a whole bunch of other things. Um... Then World War II happened. And I, you know, we need to at some point do a whole episode just on Honda. Well, we've done a few history segments on Honda, but it's the story is too big. It would have to be like a four part show. Well, we could, we could break it down. It's true. But anyway, um, yeah. So to this day, Honda just makes anything with it chainsaws, motorcycles. Lawnmowers, cars, trucks, SUVs, snowblowers, snowblowers, yeah, La- uh, anything you can put a two-stroke motor on. Honda makes yes, and we love them for it. They're amazing, but uh, there are companies. So a surprising number of motorcycle manufacturers started making bicycles. So in this category, we've got a lot of like. Um, uh, European and British bikes. We've got like Moto Bucan. We've got who still make bicycles. We've got Triumph made bicycles first, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't Yamaha make bicycles first? I don't know. We need to talk about Yamaha in a minute. Well, let's just move to Yamaha right now. So famously makes musical instruments. Now, how long did they make instruments before they moved to bikes? So the motorcycle division for Yamaha started in 1955, making some 125s. But Yamaha as a company is definitely much older than that. Uh, Yeah, this is worth mentioning here that um, Yamaha makes boat boat motors, as does Kawasaki and Suzuki as well, I think. I don't Uh... know if I've seen any Honda boat motors but honda must since everyone since all the other japanese companies do honda must right i 
if only, even if they don't sell any, if only to prove that they could make the most reliable boat motor possible, right? Hmm. Yamaha make swimming pools. What? Yeah, Yamaha's a crazy company like Kawasaki. They just... I... We'll click on Yamaha Corporation there and see when the when the original Yamaha Corporation was started. Yeah, they yeah Yamaha definitely started by making pianos. That's their that's their big thing. Well, but yeah, they make just like fucking everything now. Ditch had a Yamaha saxophone, and I had a Yamaha trumpet as well. I had a Yamaha clarinet. Yeah, yeah, they make all kinds of instruments. They still make guitars. They're not great. Some of their ones in some of Yamaha's guitars in the late sixties are kind of cool now. They made some great Martin sort of knockoff guitars that are. They've kind of been recognized as pretty cool. They're not awesome, but they're they're pretty cool. Um, yeah, they make electronics. Well, not sort of. I mean, yeah, they do, but it's so when you really Wait, look at. I didn't know about that. in two thousand and two, Yamaha closed down its archery product business. Like, why were they making bows? I did not know that. <laughs> so. <yeah. laughs> Six archers in five different Olympic games won gold medals using Yamaha archery products. That's ridiculous. Don't say you never learned anything from Nokomoto. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ooh, ooh, check this out. They acquired German audio software manufacturer Steinberg in 05. So Yamaha owns the software which we make this show on. Holy crap. It's a small world. Yeah, and here I thought Yamaha was the only brand we hadn't really, you know, owned as far as the show goes. All right. So there, yeah, like fucking crazy. I thought we were just going to gloss over Yamaha real quick there. Um, So... I think an interesting point to be made here now is, well, also we could talk about um, New Indian, which is owned by Polaris. Right. Who originally, most of the things they were making were um, through Sea-Doo and other companies were um, the, the Ski-Doo and the Sea-Doo. Um, Jet skis and snowmobiles and other industrial vehicles. Yeah. Then transit, then bought up um, Indian and Victory for, for their motorcycle business. Kawasaki makes the C1. Oh, wow. Kawasaki is making spacecraft. Sorry, I just I, couldn't, <laughs> I could not help myself from interjecting there. Oh wow, the uh, the Kawasaki is involved with the Boeing seven six seven 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 eight seven. Uh, yeah, apparently they're heavily involved with Boeing in general. Holy crap! I, I mean, look as as we uh, look at Kawasaki heavy industries here, main products. Aircraft, space systems, helicopters, simulators, jet engines, missiles, and electronic equipment. But motorcycles don't even come up on Kawasaki Heavy Industries uh, 
uh, Wikipedia. It's just a weird fucking hobby they have because the Japanese are super patriotic and feel like motorcycles are just a part of Japanese culture. They feel like they do it the best, and they probably do do it the best if we're all really honest. So Kawasaki makes motorcycles because they're making everything else. They mention platform screen door systems before they mention motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, we got um, diesel trains, electric trains, um, all kinds of shit. I... It, it, Kawasaki literally does Kawasaki Heavy Industries literally does way too much for us to even really get into here. Yeah, man, it just keeps going. The list of main products is how far. They're kind do, of like how Japan's far do we have to go? Halliburton, although less ethically questionable. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Um, so let, let's move on to another uh, category of products made by motorcycle companies that aren't motorcycles. So this is too big to list, but during World War II, any company existing with tooling, with tooling made, you know, bullets, armor, guns, bits for tanks. I mean, anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were... You had motorcycle uh, companies just like, you know, punching out helmets and all kinds of shit. And there's literally too much to go into. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, famously, the, the most famous are, you already mentioned, the, the gun manufacturers. But uh, even Harley, you know, while they were making the WLAs, were making, I think, I feel like Harley was making like some something to do with tanks, but I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, yeah, let's see. What else do we have in this category of weird shit made by motorcycle companies besides bikes? There was another one we were thinking of earlier. Mm, I've run out. Um... I know we're forgetting one, a big one. It's the Canadian company. Polaris. No. Bombardier. That was the one. Which is Polaris. Uh, or Polaris is part of it well yeah so Bombardier used to make well I guess they still make snowmobiles but they used to make motorcycles for a period in the 70s two stroke road bikes that were kind of awesome I did a whole thing on it but now for whatever weird reason they have the ability to switch their main focus and now they make trains uh, so apparently a lot of trains in Canada and that run through North America are Bombardier. So there you go. Another, that's the one I was trying to think of. All right, cool. So yeah. Um, I would say like for people more interested in this, uh, Kawasaki is a great place to start. So is Yamaha, um, Honda. We kind of, we know what they do. You know, we see it in every Ace hardware store and whatever, but it's also worth taking a deep dive. The Japanese companies really, really excel at just making everything and then motorcycles as an afterthought and then still dominating. But even like, um, you know, there's so many car manufacturers we haven't talked about, like Peugeot is the second or third largest producer of scooters in Europe, mm. mostly a car company, right? Or... 
I don't think Fiat does anything. But, you know, and now weirdly, there's been this new move for, you know, companies like Ducati to just make bicycles, right? And things like that. So um, it's almost more like the idea of a company that makes motorcycles only making the motorcycles is the exception, not the rule. Right. You take a company like Harley that only makes motorcycles. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly Kawasaki can pull off something like the H2R with ease because they make spacecraft. They're like, oh, a supercharged one liter superbike? Like, yeah, in our sleep. Sure. And they can lose money on it too. Because they make spacecraft, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. And you have to say spacecraft because they make all kinds of different things which go into space. They make space stations. They make missiles. They make satellites. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So let's put another quick break in here, and then we're going to come back with the sort of flip side to this. All right, so coming back into it with more of the frivolous, frivolous talk that you've come to expect from us. I want to talk about companies that definitely don't make motorcycles, that we wish made motorcycles, and maybe what those bikes would be. So the top of my list is Lockheed Martin. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. And this is sort of in that Kawasaki range. Lockheed Martin already makes so many ridiculous things. I, the number of weapons, the, the planes, the, the missiles, the, all the stuff, right? There's no way they couldn't make just a fantastic, crazy fucking motorcycle that we would love. They wouldn't make, Lockheed Martin would have to make something like the H2R. But more expensive is what I think they would end up making. And it would be, again, just for fun. Because mm-hmm. they're a pretty large company. I mean, they're not as big as Kawasaki, but they're large. And I, this is the, this would be their kind of jam, I think. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think it's a, it's a strong contender. Um, they definitely make... They have enough knowledge of everything uh, around... Just all the engineering stuff. They already have the knowledge. They just need to to put it together. And they could do it pretty quickly. Uh similar on a similar vein, um somebody like Rolls Royce could also do a good job. Not so not the car maker, problem- the the, yeah. the 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 airplane division that makes yeah. all the airplane motors and stuff. What we should have talked more about in the last segment, the huge um, amount of companies that made aircraft during World War II that turned into making uh, motorcycles. So that weirdly would be kind of traditionalist. To take yeah, a company making aircraft engine and then go in a British company making aircraft engine then making motorcycles. It's like 80 years too late, but 
still kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. Do you not just get the feeling that it would be totally boring? A Rolls Royce motorcycle? I don't know. How could it be? You would. It would have to be a luxury bike, you know, just oh, like the sure. luxury cars. And I feel like it would be something like, like a big Harley Davidson cruiser, like a road glide or something, but with twice the power and twice the end, you know, some, you know, it'd have like a, it'd have a three, three and a half liters, you know, sort of um, Triumph Rocket three style engine on it. Right. Yeah. It it would be not unlike the Triumph Rocket Three, but full fairing and all of that nonsense mm-hmm. is what I think Rolls Royce would have to put out. And it would be it would be on a weird level too, where yes, it's got this wind protection and everything, but you still shouldn't really ride it in the rain because it's gonna have like like leather on the inside of the fairing. And everything, right? Mm-hmm. Just a, le- a leather-covered dash. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, mm, yeah. It, it's good. I mean, they might be able to make it with some sort of awesome, you know, coating on it. So, it was not going to get hurt if you have it outside. But you definitely don't want to store it outside. But um, it's got wood paneling and, and stuff. Like the side covers over the battery, you know, are going to be made of like, you know, oak or something or walnut. Yeah. Walnut, polished walnut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can only ride this bike if your name is Reginald. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the bike might be called the Reginald. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Okay. So another kind of category of company that might be interesting to see is uh, tooling companies. Like if Snap-on made a motorcycle. Oh, I didn't think of that. Um, hmm. A Snap-on motorcycle. I mean, someone would buy it because there are certain people who will buy anything that says Snap-on. Well, they're already really good with just tooling and making tooling. So all the steel stuff they've got covered. Plastic molding engineering tolerances all that stuff it's all there and i feel like there's plenty of bikes that could fit into kind of the snap-on aesthetic yeah maybe they'd make something like klr but it'd be 800 cc's i could see that yeah and i could see them making something harley sportster-esque it might be like a it might be like a KLR, but it's just covered with... It's got an exposed frame that's just, like, covered in, um, in like, mounting points for anything to be attached with an M8 bolt. So, uh, it's got a big, fat tail on it, and, like their drawers, luggage and an extra seat are gonna slide out. And hold like 200 pounds each because that's the whole snap on thing, right? You can like pull a drawer out of one of their cases and like put sit like a 220 pound dude on it and it doesn't move, right? Because <laughs> all the bearings, it's all it's all meant for that. That would be they like, just design a bike that weighs like 400 pounds. Well, it looks but like it's a, got like a 600 pound load limit on it. Well, right, it's gonna be 
it's going to be a fairly normal-ish looking bike, like single-seater, but the back seat will slide out so you can clip on luggage or have a passenger on it. And it's going to have some, it's going to be able to take enough weight that you can put some on the back and it'll far exceed the weight limit of the suspension, but it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Because they have to do a very, they're going to have to do some sort of snap on that. And, and the tail of this bike is going to be really large because this bike would have to have the most complete onboard toolkit ever. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> oh, it would be great if they like moved the battery somewhere else. And then under the seat where you would normally like kind of like on a um like a CB900 where you move the you move the side cover. Yeah. And you've got the tool case just sitting there next to the battery is if you take the side cover off and there's just like four little shelves like a mini snap-on tool chest. That all the tools come out of. Mm. It's strong, yeah. Yeah. I, I think as far as the actual normal bike would go, Snap-on wouldn't really n- wow us that much. You know, They'd probably buy S&S motors and put them in a frame that they built and and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, I bet they would go with, um, with Rotax. You think they'd go Rotax before mm-hmm. S&S? What's the thinking there? Well, SNSs are really just. It's. I, I feel like they would go with. I feel like they'd go metric and they'd go a bit more. They go water cooled. Okay. All right. Now, you had another idea for a manufacturer that doesn't make motorcycles at all that was just inspired. Oh, yes. Uh, Kubota. I love this. <laughs> I, if nothing else, I, I want like, so first of all, what Kubota would bring to the table is hydraulic suspension. Really mm-hmm. killer hydraulic suspension. Who knows more <laughs> about hydraulics than Kubota, right? This would be magic. And there's a certain sort of aesthetic to Kubota stuff, right? That that construction equipment sort of look. There's sort of a timeless look to it. And I feel that there's a lot of aesthetic that could be pulled off of that and translated into motorcycles. And the orange and white paint scheme is really strong as well. I feel like there's a lot of bikes that would look great in those colors. I like this a lot. I, I think Kubota would wouldn't be like a one trick pony, right? Like uh like we kind of thought in the nineties, well uh Subarus are kind of cool, but they make these like three different cars and they all have all wheel drive and that's their thing. But it turns out Subaru had a lot more for us. I think Kubota would be the same way. It'd be like, well, we get these bikes with these hydro with this hydraulic suspension and whatever, you know, what's going on? And then it would turn out to be a lot better. Um I mean, you know, uh, BMW's doing so much with that, with their automatic adjusting suspension, right? Yeah. Like, I, I really think Kubota would just immediately take it to the next level. Yeah. They'd be pricey, but they'd be cool. Okay. There's also... Uh, 
as a tie back to the worst bike in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> apparently, it's incredibly popular to take the smaller displacement Kubota diesel engines. Oh, yeah. And make your custom diesel motorcycle out of. It would be great to see uh, Kubota make a diesel motorcycle and then immediately have it be compared to all of the one-off custom (laughs) (laughs) diesel motorcycles that the people have made. Well, I can understand Kubota making one just really expensive diesel options that... Not many people will buy, but so, but they'll have to make because they're Kubota, right? Yeah, they'll make like 10 a year or something. Yeah, they'll have to make the one. I'll concede that. Now, here's something interesting. What if Toyota made motorcycles? So what would Toyota do yeah, what would be that an existing... Japanese motorcycle manufacturer doesn't already do. Well, I don't know if they need to do something different, but I mean, I don't doubt that they would make great motorcycles. It's just, is there anything different philosophically that they would bring to the table? So I would say Honda is the closest manufacturer in philosophy to Toyota. Right, as far as the cars yeah. go. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if Toyota could come to the game with something that would rival the Goldwing or the CBR. But, I think they would come in with some sort of more traditional metric cruisers that would look pretty good. And that would that would do the job. I think they would do a better job of cruisers than, say, Yamaha is doing. Yeah. Um, Toyota would make... I think Toyota would start with entry-level stuff. Three, four hundred cc's, electric things. Things to try to get their their car buyers to switch over, right? Because... Could they bring back the concept of the Moto Compo? Yeah. Yeah, that's really where the next Moto Compo is going to live. Yeah. You know, there's so many of these uh, electric bikes that fold into suitcases and things now. Maybe Toyota's entry point is to get one custom made to fit into the back of a Camry. Mm, That's strong. And then from there, they would go to just naturally just making everything. Because Toyota like they do with cars, would have to make a full line. They would have to have a sport bike. They'd have to have a big cruiser. They'd have to have a standard. They would be like Honda. They would have one of everything. And like Honda, they have that reputation of crazy reliability. So everything... I would would love to see... I I wonder if somebody's already done this. They could make like a luxury cruiser but the selling point is that um rather than like the uh the vulcan 2000 they just had a two liter two-cylinder motor they have a two liter cruiser 
but it's just got the inline four out of a Corolla in it. Hmm. Here's a weird thought. If Toyota got into motorcycles and, you know, Honda's already in motorcycles and there are other luxury car brands like BMW involved, whatever. Is there any reason that Honda couldn't put out a bike with the Acura badge on it? Is there a reason Toyota couldn't then do one with Lexus? That's interesting. Like, would the would the top of the line Goldwing be an Acura something, right? You know, because they used to do the Goldwing Interstate and the and the regular Goldwing and the the Aspencade was the top of the line. Would it be the Acura Aspencade, and then the Honda Interstate? You know, I don't think so. I mean. It's not good from a marketing perspective. To, say, what's, what's your benefit for splitting your, your branding there? To appeal to car buyers. You could rebadge like a different trim level that might not like you wouldn't. Yeah, you have, well, that's all the that's all mm-hmm. the Acuras and the Lexuses are just different, a higher trim level. Essentially, they're all just regular Toyotas and yeah, Hondas like, underneath the hood. It's like yeah. a an Audi, you know. It's just a Volkswagen, right? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe that might be a good way to just get like bikes into different dealerships. Uh huh. Hmm. Yeah. Because Goldwing Honda doesn't make an Aspencade model Goldwing right now. I think the Acura Aspencade has a nice roll to it, right? And I think there'd be some, and especially the way the new Goldwing look, it kind of has a sort of Acura look to it, if you think about it. Uh, I think a blacked out Goldwing Tour as the Acura Aspencade would kind of pop in a few showrooms. Hmm. It definitely sounds fancy. So fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm onto something. That, well, well, okay. Well, is there a reason? So um, Yamaha already splits its its cruiser bikes into a different brand, Star. Yeah, but you never see Star without Yamaha next to it. That's true. But is there a reason that they couldn't just drop star because it's not really working great for him. Let's be honest. Right. Everyone still talks about the, the V max as being a Yamaha, not a star. Right. Mm. Uh, so it should, if not, I mean, Honda would have to go with Acura. Well, they wouldn't have to, but I, I feel like they should. You know, could Kawasaki come up with a luxury brand for their super top of the line, right? Or does it not work anymore? If the H2R isn't a, a Kawasaki, does it really work as a leader anymore? I... Well, I think I mean, you also have to keep in mind that it's the whole point of having these luxury flagship bikes is to bring prestige to the brand overall. Where, you know, bikes like the H2R probably aren't very profitable. In fact, they may even be losing money on each one. 
Yeah. But it's bringing prestige to the brand that's selling smaller displacement bikes. So if you then split that off into a different brand, like it's not really helping you. Right, but do you make something that looks like the Nikon but costs $25,000 and has every bell and whistle and looks slightly different and then give it a different name and try to capture a market there? Hmm. I think with the barrier to entry being what it is, I don't think it makes a ton of sense. To bring it slightly back on topic. Oh, okay. What would your Toyota top of the line brand be? Well, Lexus. You're just going to call it the, the Lexus what? Oh, I don't know. Well, I don't well, know what bikes Toyota would make yet. Is <laughs> In this world, I was just thinking in this world where you're making Toyotas, I just thought, well, wouldn't Lexus then have bikes as well? Well, that's interesting. Where do we go with that? It might be good just to make bikes only under the Lexus badge. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Hmm. Would they make their own or would they buy bikes from, say, Kawasaki and make luxury out, like luxury versions of Kawasaki's? No, Kawasaki, company, Kawasaki, wouldn't Kawasaki would tell them to fuck off because yeah. they don't need. You're already Toyota. You just well, need Toyota a... has some interest in Suzuki. So does Lexus just become a luxury brand for Suzuki motorcycles? The Suzuki Lexus. Well, you well. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, you could. Suzuki already has terrible, like Lexus sounding names for its cruisers. <laughs> like the C fifty sounds like a fucking Lexus. Yeah. Um, I feel like you could. I mean, for the smaller displacement stuff, like um. Like the uh, like a lot of the fifty cc stuff and a lot of the scooters and stuff, you might as well just have them across both brands. In fact, you would probably start the company out and getting the dealerships and the supply network and everything started just by rebadging small displacement Suzukis, and then you would build. You would use that time after that once you've got the groundwork laid. You'd start making your own bikes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like just a really, really nice trim level van van. Uh, <laughs> I think the Acura Aspencade sells a lot more. It's true, but no, I don't think so. Hmm. I think there's a way that you can you can sort of take guys that th- you know there's a certain section of 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 society that has way more money than sense anymore, right? As the gap between middle class and upper class keeps getting further apart, there's someone that goes out thinking they're going to go to the store and just you know buy the most expensive Acura they can get their hands on. And maybe there's a way to, instead of getting them to buy $100,000 car, get them to buy two or three $50,000 vehicles by upping their prestige. If you take a Goldwing and call it an Acura and up the price ten dollars to $12,000, 
is there a way to get some dude to buy that as a fun toy instead of a sixty, seventy thousand dollar car to go, oh, well, I still buy a ridiculous vehicle and I've got money left over. I think the barrier to entry in terms of just having a motorcycle license and feeling confident to ride a big motorcycle like that is just too big to overcome to make that a fairly viable business. You're probably right, but I'm just thinking. I'm just trying to think outside the box. Okay. Uh, Any other crazy companies that we think would be brilliant at making motorcycles? I thought maybe a John Deere motorcycle is kind of an interesting thought. What about Mastercraft? (gasps) Wait, now we're fucking talking. That would be so Mastercraft. So Mastercraft would have to make something totally off-road yeah because if there's anything we know about mastercraft they're like let's just call gm and have them just make us an engine that hates the environment mm-hmm. right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mastercraft is not going to go through the hassle of getting something epa approved in 50 states so it's gonna have mastercraft would have to make the most fuck you off-road bike ever, right? Yeah. Or an amphibious bike. But I, I like the idea of just uh, something. I off. bet it could be amphibious if it was something like a super upmarket, like Rokon. Mm. With like the big bulbous tires that can be inflated or filled with fuel or water. And have big, like, paddle tread patterns. Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. But instead of, like, the tiny... Instead of being a two-gear motor, like, 50 to 100 cc's, it's just, like, a, a 400 cc two-stroke. That's strong. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know the market's kind of crowded, but there's, I also wonder, like, is it, as we, like, how many, um, this will be an email, no, 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 okay, I'll say that for an email later. Um, When Yamaha can make something as stupid as the Niken, I wonder are we struggling that bad in the motorcycle industry? No, we're not. Is it a, like, is, is the Nikan a move of confidence or a move of desperation? Or is it a little bit of both? It's a move of outrageous confidence. Okay. Undeserved confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Foolish confidence. Okay. Um, yeah. It, when, when Yamaha can make the Nikan, I wonder is that a sign that there's more space in this market? It, does Yamaha undeservedly have more market share than maybe it needs? And other people can butt in there. Yamaha's not going to stop making motorcycles, no matter how much market share they lose, because they make motorcycles because they love making motorcycles, just like Kawasaki. And for Honda, it's integral to who the company is. If Honda stops making motorcycles... 
their auto division doesn't know who they are anymore right mm-hmm. their, their 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 power tools or you know their their gardening you know the, the the lawn mowers and the hedge clippers like those guys don't know who they are anymore it it all falls apart without the bikes honda likes to make bikes the most so i i mean a lot of people aren't necessarily super aware of it but i feel like it's the goldwing that gives credibility to the chainsaw and it's the gold wing that gives credibility to the civic right yeah well i mean it's transitory through the name like nobody thinks of the gold wing with their chainsaw but they think about honda and honda is brought up by the gold wing and then once you take all the motorcycles away kind of it all sort of disappears a little bit honda just goes down a couple notches right okay so yeah, I don't have a I don't have a hard like closing thought on this segment, but it's just fun. I I think there's I think there is room, and I I'd love to see a wacky company. I think make it's a bike. I you think know, Halliburton, Lockheed Martin. I think it's important. I think I think it's interesting to think about these because of the fact that we're you know before we talked about like how do you start a new company? It's really difficult to start a brand new motorcycle company. But then you look historically, and most motorcycle companies didn't start making motorcycles. So if we're going to get any new blood in the game, it's going to come from an existing company. It's not going to be a startup, most likely. And it turns out that startups are incredibly rare in the space. Going out. All right, cool. So I think now we just need to move to Swiggy Reads the emails. Because we got to catch up on some. So we got a few to read here. Actually, you know what? Maybe we should depart. Maybe we should have Oliver read the email. So he gets a little bit more mic time in this. But I think... Uh, yeah, man, I'll do some reading. Let's do, let's do it with Oliver. So, um, okay. So, yeah, this time, Ollie, you're going to read the emails and give it a nice British flair, hmm. right? You hear that, Emma? You're not the only British motorcycle <laughs> podcaster in America. Right. <laughs> there's Emma, there's Front End Chatter, and now there's you, Ollie. So nice. you're in rarefied air. So this email is from Peter. And why don't you read what he's putting down? Let's go. So Peter says. Merry Christmas to the NoCo Podsters. I would help. You're real quiet. If I turned your mic back on. Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Thanks. <laughs> he was making stupid sounds. It was driving me insane. Okay. I had to shut him down. All right, read. Peter says, Merry Christmas to the NoCo Podsters and families. I'm listening to made-up motorcycles while digesting my Christmas lunch. Nice. Australia had Manhattans. Uh, and also, yeah, there's two links there. I don't see what they are. So let's take a look at this. <sighs> what is the Manhattan? So it's just essentially a standard sort of scooter. It's got a nice headlight on the uh, on the handlebars. And other than that, nothing too crazy. A 150cc Australian scooter in a variety of colors. Has a sort of... Um, 
Uh, what's the vibe that you get from this? Uh, it's sort of just like a kind of standard, like 150 Vespa-esque yeah, automatic it's, scooter. It's Vespa-esque, yeah, twist and go. Mm. Okay, so continue. He says, the, man's, no, sorry, the Manhattan Scooter website has gone dead, so these guys didn't survive the recent scooter downturn. But they were one of the many small outfits that brought in a few containers of scooters from Chinese factory number seven and tried to cash in on the Australian scooter boom that ran out of puff about four years ago. Given your time in the UK, I was surprised you didn't find a Scottish connection for the Thistle, a Highland farm bike you can ride in a kilt with a sheep slung over the rear rack and somewhere to keep a wee dram ready to take a nip, available with a multi-pipe bagpipe styled exhaust. Nice. There was also an Aprilia Mojito 125 and 150, uh, which was definitely sold in the UK and Australia, kind of a cruiser beach scooter with lots of chrome. It was called the Habana in some markets. Let's take a look at that real quick. Oh, I see. Oh. Yeah, there is a weird sort of beach cruiser look to this. Hmm. I don't feel like it encourages drink driving enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's pretty cool looking. All right, where were we? Here we go. So we're pretty happy today as we had good rain overnight. And today it's drought time over here. So we aren't too happy about the number of sun-blasted riding days we've had. You might have seen the bushfires around the Australian East Coast. Yeah, we've all seen those. That sucks. The airborne particulates are high. Are high li- oh, okay. So the airborne particulates are high like Beijing. So there have been a lot of filter face masks under motorcycle helmets for the weeks before Christmas. The attached image is bushfire smoke that stretched 300 kilometers or so from Tamworth to Bolivia Hill. The shot is from the car driving from Sydney up to Brisbane with the family for Christmas. Back around broke, we saw vertical plume fires and helicopters flying with water buckets. It's been bad. Uh, So enjoy your snowy wonderland and send some rain our way. Cheers. Peter Triumph Street Twin and Sports to 48 Special from Sydney. Okay, so this is what the third and fourth. I hope you're going to leave all of his mistakes in. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) This is the third and fourth, or the fourth and fifth made up motorcycle bikes that already existed. Yeah, and we're also fairly close to what we envisioned. Well, the Manhattan we did think was a scooter, but I was going a little bit more bird style. But you were thinking, what was your version of the Manhattan? Uh, I didn't have a, my own version of the Manhattan, but my version of the Mojito was the bike that was designed to enable and assist drink drivers as much as possible. Oh, right. Well, I, I was going the amphibious scooter route. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not true. That's not true. We did agree that the Mojito was um, a shocker. Two up front, one in the back, but it had a hard stop on the suspension. Yeah. The, the the daiquiri was the amphibious. That's right. <laughs> the amphibious scooter. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to another email here. Here we go. So this is Rick. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm 25 years old, and I live in Fort Collins. I am confirmed. Uh, I am confirmed an immature motorcyclist because I have not one but two supermotos. I've been listening for quite a while and thought it was time I chimed in on a few things. I can credit you guys with the inspiration to go for my first track day. 
I took my CRF 450X in Supermoto trim to IMI for a day of fun. I got lapped plenty of times by bikes of all sizes, but didn't crash, so all is good. For only 40 bucks and a roasted rear tire, you guys need to go. A few episodes back, you did a list of bikes that people want other people to buy. You could have easily called this segment, Why We Hate Adventure Bikes. I get that the stereotypical adventure bike owner won't travel the world, but instead listen to podcasts of people traveling while they take their overpriced BMW to get coffee. Still, your distaste for ADV doesn't seem justified. Riding off-road in Colorado is crazy fun, and the terrain, mountain passes, and views are insurmountable. You should ride more dirt. This leads me to a story. You guys talked about doing a segment of stories about being fucked and getting out of it. On a sunny summer Friday afternoon, I packed my DRZ with camping gear and set off solo from northern Colorado. My plan was to ride mostly forest roads, camp, wake up and up early and get to Vail by 10 a.m. Saturday to meet friends and go rafting. My first moto camping trip, I was highly unprepared with no rain gear and little tools. I got poured on off Pingree Park Road up the Poudre. Poudre? Poudre. Poudre. Poudre Canyon, sorry. We call it Pooter. Pooter, gotcha. But the sun came back out and I managed to dry out when I hit asphalt. I made good progress and decided to go on a little farther into the woods and find camping in the Gold area. Gold is known for its single track. I was far from cell service when I got a flat tire, all by myself, no spare, sun going down. I was confirmed fucked. I was limping out. Uh, I was limping the DRZ along the trying to get to the main road when I ran into a guy in a KTM 300. I saw hope. What he saw was a supermoto on knobbies loaded down with the camping gear and a flat tire, a flat 17-inch tire rear. He laughed at me for being ill-prepared, but offered his, up his camp for the night. His buddies had tools and a spare tube. I made friends, ate hot food, drank their beer, and got a fresh tube installed. Thanks to the motorcycle community, I went from rock bottom to the best possible scenario. I slipped a 50 into their toolkit in the morning. Nice, classy move. Romped some serious miles and managed to hit Vale right at 10 a.m. I wanted to say thanks for the great podcast. Not a ton of people my age are into motorcycles, probably because they're a bunch of pussies. <laughs> Listening to you guys fills the motor conversation void in my life. Um. Yeah, so let's address this part of us hating adventure bikes. I don't hate adventure bikes. I just think they're overrepresented. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like... It's not happened as much as it has with SUVs, but because adventure bikes are necessarily a big and expensive vehicle, they end up becoming the toys of boomers. And then they end up getting loaded up with things that boomers want, like higher trim levels, car play, and a bunch of other features that ramp up the price, but don't actually make them better at what they were originally intended to do. So I feel like it's more that there's a disdain for what they're becoming rather than the original intention of what they're for. Yeah. Now I could be tempted into like, or an infield Himalayan pretty easily. I feel like that would be a great bike to have around here. Just enough power to get things done. Like, just enough power to get up I-70, right? Mm-hmm. Over Vail Pass and all of that. 
I mean, not a single horsepower to spare, but, you know, just enough. And, you know, do some fire roads and things like that. That that would be about the area I would go. Uh, I remember for bikes, people, I think we trashed on the KTM 1290 for this expensive boomer toy angle. And the 700, I understand people like because it's, supposed to be the adventure bike for more adventure people. But there was so much build-up, right? There was so much build-up. And I just really, I, I've heard front-end chatter talk about it, like, since it was released, mm-hmm. and, like, no one else, really. Yeah, so... I don't know. I don't know. Rick, we're going to have to get together and go ride somewhere or something. I mean, you've got a supermotor to spare, and we'll come up with another adventure off roadish kind of bike. Just scroll down. Okay, on that. Oh, okay. Never mind. Okay. And yeah, and yeah, for the story, love that. It's awesome. Let's go to another one now. Who have we got here? Um,. Oh, this one's kind of worth bringing up. So this is from Phil. He says, I was browsing bikes at online dealers and came across this mess. I'm no fan of this style. Pull it up. He felt the the need to share, sorry. Oh my god. So Phil has discovered the Vanderhall. We can proudly say that we have been to four shows now where there were test rides of these available. Yeah. And we have declined every single time. Do not blame you. It's it's basically a Morgan three-wheeler that looks more modern, right? I mean, or a Polaris slingshot for... Uh, or a trike. Slightly... I guess it's a Polaris slingshot for people who have driving gloves. Is it not just yeah. a trike? With <laughs> Essentially a trike with bucket seats? No? Well, it has a steering wheel, which is well, yeah, but problematic to say the least. I understand. I don't... Nice. Yeah. Now, supposedly it's got a Kawasaki one liter inline four in it that makes a, or maybe a Yamaha inline four, like an R1 engine or something. And it kind of has a little get up and go to it. I can't remember, but I believe it's a one liter inline four that makes some decent amount of power. But this is, this is a car dude thing. This is not for, this is for a weirdo to take to the golf course. Let's be honest. Mm. It's not a serious thing. Yeah. Right? There's not really anything motorcycle about it other than the one wheel at the back. You should let the motorcycle industry know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he uh, said, sorry, let's just finish off what Phil said here. He says, keep up the great podcast. I tell all my friends about it. I know you discussed the paywall. Other Another great idea is merch t-shirts and can... Oh, sorry. Another great idea is merch t-shirts, can koozies, Break koozie, lol hats, stickers. I think you could sell a lot of items that can keep up with order demands. Yeah. If the interns can keep up with order demands. That really is the key part. The issue with selling merch is in order to make it even remotely worth your time to do it, is you have to do shit like charge $30 for t-shirts. 
or $8 for stickers and whatever. I kind of want to just, since we have a bunch of stickers printed or whatever, just give people stickers when they sign up for Patreon or whatever. We'll see what happens with that. Um, yeah, we're at the point now where people are regularly telling us we should do something that can generate some cash, but we want to make sure we do it the right way. It's it's easy to just sort of get into this the wrong way. And here's another interesting one. So many of these are visual. This is going to require a lot yeah. of video of picture links. But so this one's from Matthew. He says, "Hey guys, I was just look. Uh, I was just up looking through some old Moto stuff and found this. I thought you might want to look at it for an. Mm, I told you. He <laughs> <laughs> <You> did. <laughs> I'll restart that." It's from Matthew. He says, hey guys, I was just up looking through some old Moto stuff and found this. I thought you might want to look into it for an episode or just for shits and giggles. Ride safe. So he sent us a picture of motorcycle chariot racing, which totally was a thing. I don't think it was that really that big a thing, but back in the 30s or whatever... <laughs> People would rig up motorcycles together like horses and pull chariots and race them. And it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, maybe we need to do an update. Uh, maybe in episode 100. Oh, Could uh, we do a segment like the ridiculous fringe sports? Another round of fringe motorcycle sports. And include this. I th that might be something good. Okay. And then we've got a couple more emails. Okay, here's another one from so Matt. So it's, it's actually from Matthew again, he says, or Matt. Hey guys, I'm back again, and I am now the proud owner of a 2014 Yamaha Bolt R-Spec. It has 6,000 miles on it and needs new tires. I only paid 2,200 for it, so I have enough left to get a good set. I live in Wichita, and I'm going to ride year-round unless there is ice or snow. Since you guys try to ride year-round, I was hoping you could give some advice on tires. I know you ride sport bikes, and I'm on a cruiser, but you have much more experience than your father has had cruisers. Also, thank you for reading my email on the show. That made my day. Ride safe, Matt. You're welcome, Matt. Um, I Bolt tires. Um, so here's the deal. The most important thing is to just get your tires warm, really. And as far as having, quote, winter tires or something, that doesn't really exist, right? Yeah, not really for bikes. So, for tires, um, I kind of like Michelin tires myself. Like, the, the pilot and the roads are great. Um, but that sort of specifically meets my needs, you know, the, the pilot roads, because they're basically sport touring tires. So I ride sporty bikes long distances. It's kind of tailor-made <laughs> for my needs. Although recently, I just put a Metzler on the back of the Super Hawk, and that's been working out pretty well. But, so let's say... You get this R spec. What do you really want? Uh, I haven't looked up a lot, but basically the up and down of it is is pick something in the middle, right? 
I would say you probably for that bike, especially if you're going to be riding in the cold. Um, you're going to want something that is just kind of designed to work for everything. And I think the probably what you're going to find is the best option is going to be something like the um uh the Bridgestone battle axes. Yeah. And or just anything that's like just high silica kind of rain tire with decent mileage on it. Or that does de- that does good mileage. And that's about it, really. Ultimately, your tires aren't going to matter too much on a bike like that. Just that they're in good condition and that you get them warm. And I highly doubt you're ever going to get into a situation where your tire selection was the difference maker. So I wouldn't worry too much about it, but probably like the BT45s or something like that. Just kind of good for rain in all conditions and is really what you want. Just don't get a cheap set of Shinkos. Yeah. I mean, cheap Shinkos have their place. Uh, But I, I don't know if this is it. So, yeah. And I think that just about does it for our emails, right? I believe so. Um, yeah. If there are any others that we missed, then I apologize. So let's wrap this one up. Okay. Uh, it's episode 98 right now. So the next one is 99. Only one more episode in between us and episode 100. So you can still send in best of moments for the show. You can send us just whatever's going on in your life to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. Please tell friends about the show. Remember, your cost of admission is to leave ratings and reviews or tell a friend or post something about this show on some sort of forum somewhere to let people know about it. And after all that, the only thing left to say is stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting the dragon. Do the outro. What do you guys say? Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. Da, 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 da. I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm, cold. 